Amen. Just give me Jesus. Thank you, Jonathan and Nathan, for leading us into this time of reflection. Well, we are almost at the end of our series on the profile of a maturing believer. The last of the three sections of this series has been unpacking for us what it means to be commissioned to the world. We have talked about the importance of having a burden for the lost. We have talked about the importance about proclaiming the gospel clearly and regularly. And today I would like for us to talk about the command Jesus gives us and gave his disciples to make disciples. And here's why. Because at the heart of our commission 
to the world. The purpose behind us having a burden for the lost, the purpose behind being able and proclaiming the gospel regularly is this command that Jesus gave his disciples and gives us. Go make disciples of all nations. And the title this morning is simply this, Intentional Discipleship. Intentional Discipleship. And I encourage you and invite you to open Scripture to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. We'll be reading from verse 16 to verse 20. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. As you turn there, let me remind you that at the end of the service, immediately after the service is over, all of you are encouraged and invited to join us in our monthly potluck. If you're a visitor, we encourage you especially to join us and get to know our church family. It's a great way to get to know the people of this church family. Matthew 28. The word of the Lord speaks to us this morning in the following way. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the ends of the age. Amen. This was the word of the Lord for us and for our hearts. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord Jesus, we stand today under your authority, under the authority of your word, under the authority which has been given to you in heaven and on earth. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us. Shape and fashion us in your likeness that the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and in our deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. Amen. Well, this passage we just read is known to many Christians as the Great Commission. We Baptists especially know this very well because it represents us. We like to think we Baptists like to think that we are a people of the Great Commission. Well, before we look more closely at it, allow me to draw some contours of where this passage stands in the history of God's redemption. These words stand at the end of Matthew's Gospel, as we just realized, but that might not mean much to us. Unless we turn all the way to the beginning of Matthew's Gospel and realize how Matthew started his Gospel. The very first word of a verse of this Gospel 
says the following, Matthew 1, 1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Abraham. Nothing may seem impressive at first about these words unless we turn to Abraham and his promise and the promise that God gave him in the book of Genesis, chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, where the Lord speaks for the first time to Abraham and he says to him, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. That's how God ended his first words to Abraham. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Here's a question. How will people of the earth, how will all the people of the earth, will they be blessed through Abraham? How will that happen? Well, Matthew's gospel gives us the answer. Matthew began presenting the life of Jesus by connecting him to Abraham. And he ended his gospel by telling us of Jesus' great commission to the nations. This is a final Fulfillment of how Abraham will be a blessing to the nations. The words of Jesus are the fulfillment that God has promised to Abraham many, many centuries ago. And the fulfillment is this. Go make disciples of all nations. Now this has two major implications for us at the very beginning of the sermon. First of all, the command to make disciples might seem to many of us a great burden. It might seem to many of us a great sacrifice. But for Matthew, for Jesus, and for God himself, the command to make disciples is the fulfillment God gave Abraham. So you and I, every time we hear this command, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, we have to go back to Genesis chapter 12, when God promises Abraham, and I will make a blessing out of you, so that you will be a blessing for all the nations. It's a fulfillment. That's a first implication. It might be a burden for you. It might seem like a sacrifice for us but it's a fulfillment. God is faithful. God is bringing His promises to be fulfilled. But there's a second implication. The greatest blessing the nations can experience is to become followers of Jesus. Think of it. The second implication of this command is this, and that the fact that God is fulfilling the promise given to Abraham to be a blessing for all the nations. It's this implication that the greatest blessing that the nations can experience in this world is to become followers of Jesus Christ. They might not see it that way. 
They might not want it that way, but that is how God declared it to be. You know, my friend, if you're here today as a Christian, let me ask you this. Do you see yourself and do you see your Christian life, your life as a follower of Christ, do you see it to be the greatest blessing you have? Or do you see it as a burden? Do you see your life as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, merely as a set of rules of do's and don'ts, and you better conform to it, otherwise you're in trouble with the church, otherwise you're in trouble with God? Does your life as a follower of Jesus look more like a burden than a blessing to you? God designed it in such a way that when we become followers of Jesus, that is the blessing that we receive through Abraham, through David, through Jesus Christ. That's why Matthew's gospel begins the way it is. This is the genealogy of Jesus, son of David, son of Abraham. And at the end of this gospel, we have this commission to the world. So making disciples, dear friends, dear brothers and sisters, making disciples is not optional. It is the way God fulfills His promises to Abraham. More so, it's not optional because it was commanded to us by the one who just received all authority in heaven and on earth. Yet despite these reasons, for many Christians... And for many Baptists, the Great Commission continues to be a great omission. Despite the fact that this is a Great Commission, for many of us, for many Baptists, for many churches, the Great Commission continues to be a Great Omission. What does it mean to make disciples? This morning, as we look at the profile of a maturing believer, I hope and pray that God would enlighten us and and, and open our eyes to understand where and why the command to make disciples and intentional discipleship is a mark of maturity. But let's look at what it means to make disciples. Before we address this notion, this command of making disciples, let's address some misconceptions. In the English translation of our Bibles, Uh, Depending on what version you have, it might appear that you are really dealing with four imperatives, with four commands. Go, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them. It might appear as four commands, but in the original language, we really only have one command, and the other three are qualifiers, are describing how the command ought to be carried out. And of the four commands that might appear that way in our English Bibles, the only one that is in the original language is make disciples. In other words, it would be saying something like this, make disciples of all nations by going, by baptizing them, and by teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded. These three ways contribute to the process of making disciples. Now, if we just looked at one of them without keeping in mind the other three, 
or the rest of the picture, the holistic picture, we are falling into some misconceptions. Let me address them. If we just go without telling of the news of Jesus, we're taking a tourism class or a touristic trip. Or at best, if you're helping out, you might be doing some humanitarian aid. But that is not disciple-making. If we just baptize without teaching people how to follow Jesus, we're just getting converts and ending names on our membership roll. That is not making disciples. If we just teach without leading them to obey all the commands of Jesus, we are simply becoming an academic community. Bible study for the sake of study is no longer biblical. Teaching that does not invite people to obedience to Christ is not the Great Commission. The purpose of these activities, of going, of baptizing, and, and teaching people how to obey the Lord is for one major purpose, to make disciples of Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? What does it mean to make disciples of Jesus Christ? In order to answer this question, we might have to ask first another more basic question. And the more basic question is this. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Before we know what we're trying to make, let's try to understand what does it mean to be a disciple. The word for disciple is no longer used by our society today. But back in the day, back in, in the time when, when these words were used, it really referred to a student. It could refer to a, an apprentice. Or it could refer to a protege. We might call them today as, as interns. Somebody who's learning the skills. They're not fully qualified, but, but they're on the way to learn the skills. In ancient culture, philosophers especially had disciples. And for, for these disciples, what that meant was that you had people who began listening to a particular person, to a particular philosopher, whether it was Plato, Aristotle, or others. And, and these, these crowds, these groups of people would be following their teacher and listening to their teaching. And the idea was to learn from them how to think and how to live. It was a way to learn and to conform to the pattern of the teaching that their master would give. That's why you have in, in, in Greek philosophy, in ancient world, you had Platonists and, and Aristotelians. And we have an entire philosoph philosophical schools that have, have, have name based on their philosophies. A disciple was literally someone who would be following both in thinking and in lifestyle, the pattern of the teacher they followed. Now, when we come to the New Testament, we find out that Pharisees had disciples. Did you know that? Pharisees had disciples. Matthew 22. We, told, we also know that John the Baptist had disciples. He had crowds of people who were following him, who would be listening to their teachings. And we also know that Moses had disciples in John 9. 
So in general terms, to be a disciple had to do with conforming one's mind and lifestyle to the teacher or leader one followed. And when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus, we might define it in the following way. A disciple of Jesus is someone who has repented of his sins and trusted in Christ for his salvation, and therefore his identity has been changed. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. And because of this change of identity, our life is different. We start thinking differently. We start living differently. And the, the, the way this identity is, is expressed is, first of all, is there's a one-time visibility of that expression through baptism, which is a symbol of our decision to follow Christ in His death and in His resurrection. And then there's an ongoing expression of that identity as we seek to live out that new identity day, out, day in and day out to be conformed to Jesus, to follow Him. This is the meaning of being, of being a disciple. It is to follow Jesus and be conformed to Him. In the book of Acts, we are told that there's a place in the ancient Near East, that a place called Antioch, where a group of people who did that very well, namely, he, they followed Jesus so well, they conformed to Jesus so well, that the society around them began calling them Christianoi. And from that word, we have today the name Christian. But you see, dear friends, at first, to be a Christian was not a status. It was not simply a name on a membership role. The first time when people began to be called Christians was because they were following Jesus so closely and so well. That's the essence of being a disciple. Unfortunately, today, many Christians, many people, think of the label Christian as something they receive at birth, immediately after they're born, or they use it as a label or as a fire insurance to save themselves from hell. But without stressing the importance of following Jesus, of actually living with Him, of actually living like Him, of actually living for Him. There are many self-called Christians who know very little about Jesus' commands. They know very little about the life of Jesus. And they might have no desire to live their lives under the authority of Jesus Christ. We give the name Christian to anyone who says a prayer or anyone who is baptized. Okay, if you've done it, now you're a Christian. And we forget the rest of the teaching that Jesus gives of what it means to be a disciple. My friend, regardless of your background, if you've been a Christian for a long time, just because you call yourself a Christian, let me remind you, it does not mean that you are a follower of Christ. Or let me put it this way, just because you call yourself a Christian does not mean that you are following 
Christ. And this morning, I want to emphasize and reiterate a basic truth. You might be, I hope you are, but just because you say you are a Christian does not mean you follow Christ. And I want to reiterate this basic truth. If you're listening to this message this morning and call yourself a Christian, I'm going to ask you, are you following Jesus? That is the most basic question of our lives. It is not a question of label. It is not a question of status. It is not even a question of membership in a local church. The question I want to ask you is, are you following Jesus? If you're listening to this message and are not sure if you are a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you today to follow him. I want to invite you today to give your life to Christ, to repent of your sins and to trust in the sacrifice of Jesus for your salvation. He and He alone has won for us the righteousness before God. And when we give ourselves to Christ, when we surrender our lives to Him, He gives us a new life, a new identity from which we will willingly and joyfully follow the Lord Jesus. That is the meaning of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And if you would like to know more about that, at the end of the service, I would love to talk to you about this decision to become a follower of Jesus. So if this is a picture of a disciple, the question comes in, what does it mean to make disciples? What does it mean to make disciples? Let me say this way very clearly and softly. Making disciples is not just about doing evangelism. Making disciples is not just about presenting the plan of salvation. It includes that for sure. But it's not just about that. In the last few decades, you may have heard a distinction around churches between evangelism on one side and discipleship on the other. As if evangelism has to do with proclaiming the gospel and then discipleship has to do with doing uh, those things that only advanced Christians do, namely Sunday school or Bible study or in-depth reading of the Word. And you often hear churches talk about if you have a strong evangelism program, it means that you must be a church that focuses on outsiders. And if you're a church that, does a, that has a strong discipleship program, your main emphasis is for those inside the church. But let me remind you the words of Jesus and the way he defined discipleship and disciple-making. And based on his words, these two distinctions are utterly unbiblical. In Scripture, when we see and, and read the command of making disciples and what that means, it has no distinction between evangelism and discipleship. In the words of Jesus, in the way he talked about it, discipleship and evangelism are one process. And that's why there's a holistic approach that we want to have, we want to discover as a church Making disciples has to do with the entire process of 
proclaiming the gospel, of baptizing, and teaching people how to follow Jesus, and teaching people how to follow all the commands of Jesus. That's the process of making disciples. In other words, helping people not just to be saved or become saved, help them to follow Jesus. Yet if someone has not repented of their sins and trusted in Christ for their salvation, yes, disciple-making might ask you to focus on presenting the gospel. Once that person responds to the gospel, your focus might change to teach that person to learn what it means to follow Jesus, to teach Him His commands. And once He learns those commands, you'll get to one of the points in the Scripture when one of the commands of Jesus is, to make disciples. So you have to teach that person how to make disciples. You see, disciple-making has the entire process of sharing the good news, of teaching people how to follow Jesus, and teaching them how to make disciples because that is one of the commands of Jesus. That is disciple-making. Dear brothers and sisters, let me speak especially to those of you who are members of Park Hills Baptist Church. As a congregation, we want to redefine the language of discipleship, the language of disciple-making, according to how Scripture uses it as a holistic process that includes proclamation of the gospel, that includes baptism as a, the public act of our repentance and faith, and the ongoing teaching to obey all that Christ commanded us. Not just some, but all his words. This is a holistic approach we want to adopt as a church. Now, in order to make disciples, we need to be able to do one aspect that is often forgotten or is often brushed to the side for those advanced Christians. And that is the final part of this command of making disciples requires us or assumes that we're able to teach people how to follow Jesus, that we're able to teach people the Word of God and how to live it out. Let me say what this command in teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, let me say what this command does not mean. It does not mean that all Christians ought to be able to preach the Word in the pulpit every Sunday morning. It does not mean that all Christians need to have public speaking skills so they can teach Sunday school every Sunday morning. Or it does not mean that you need to have some incredible teaching skills to lead a Bible study. But it does mean the following, that you and I need to be able to pass on the Word of God to others by speaking it. Whether or not you think you're good at it, that's besides the point. There is an assumption that we are able to pass on the Word of God to others in all kinds of settings. One-on-one, -on -one, small groups, our families, our spouses. It assumes that we know and that we would deliberately teach on others how to follow Jesus. Now, you say, where do I get that? Is this just my making up of some truths? No, it's not. I would like to take you through some passages of Scripture, and there, there are a few of them, and I thought, should I just cut off these passages? I chose not to, 
so that you can see how many times and how clearly this is emphasized in Scripture. So I bear, I ask you to bear with me as I read through some of these verses. You don't have to open Scripture, but just listen to these. Romans chapter 15, verse 14. The Apostle Paul says, I myself am con convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. He's not writing this just to the church leaders, just to Sunday school teachers. He's writing it to the whole church. I am, I, I am convinced that you're competent to instruct one another. Ephesians 4, 14 and 15. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will all in all things grow up into him who is the head. Notice, who's speaking the truth in love? We all. Colossians 3.16, Apostle Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. It doesn't say as a pastor admonishes you. It doesn't say as your Sunday school teacher admonishes you. As you teach and admonish one another. And then probably the most, the most clear expectation is found in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. And I'll just read parts of these verses. The, apostle to the, the, the writer to the Hebrews says, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. Here's a positive thinking. He goes on and says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you yourself need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. The, the author of Hebrews assumes that by this time, you ought to be able to teach others the word of God and, and are still unable to, and you need to be taught. Because a picture of maturity, a picture of growing as disciples, is that we learn how to teach others to follow Jesus. Dear friends, speaking God's word to one another inside the body and to those who are outside the body, to those who are not yet followers of Christ, is the work of disciple-making, of discipling others, of teaching others to follow Christ. And as a church, we want to pursue a significant shift from running events to equipping you to speak the word and to make disciples. The institutional church cannot create disciples. Let me repeat this. The institutional church cannot create disciples. Only disciples can make disciples. And we do that by going, by baptizing, by teaching them to obey all the commands of Christ. But let me get to one of the commands of Jesus. One of the commands of Jesus was to make disciples. And this means that making disciples means, teach, means teaching people how to make disciples. To be a disciple of Jesus means to be a disciple maker. To be a disciple of Jesus means to be a disciple maker. You cannot follow Jesus without following his command to make disciples. And we want to focus on training ourselves to be disciples who make disciples. 
the point of our discipleship focus should not be how do I get people signed up to all our events? You know, and I'm saying this today when we want you to sign up for Family Fun Night. <laughs> and there's a sign-up sheet in the foyer and there's a sign-up sign sheet in the, in the fellowship hall and we want you to sign up. But let me say this. The focus of our discipleship is not so that you can sign up for all kinds of volunteer experiences in the church. The ultimate focus of our discipleship making in the church ought to be so that you mature. So that you learn how to make disciples of other people. So that you know and learn how to teach others to make disciples. That is a disciple of Jesus Christ. A disciple of Jesus Christ is a disciple maker. It just doesn't go further than that. That is at its basic. Now in the series we've been talking about what it means to be a mature follower of Jesus. A person who is maturing. And we've been looking at different milestones, at different posts. We So far we covered 12 of them. This is a 13th and we have one more. And these signposts are sort of there to give you an indication how far along are you in your maturing process. But let me say this, today, the sign we're covering today is one absolutely unmistakable sign of your maturity or of your maturing process. Today's mark is this, maturity involves the ability to teach others and lead others to maturity in Christ. You are maturing in Christ when you grow in your ability and practice of passing on the truths about Christ to others so they can know Christ and grow in following Christ. And we live in a society that likes measurable tests. Some of you like to remind me, what is a measurable test about this direction? If we're taking this as a direction of our church, what will this look like? Can I give you some measurable tests. How can, we, how can we measure if we are effective in discipleship making? Not by the number of baptisms. I know this will be hard for us as a Baptist church. But I'm asking you to explore the scriptures to see what is going to be a measurable test, a measurable uh, mark of our growth in making disciples. It is not baptism. It is not even the number of new members that join this church. Instead, let's ask ourselves this measuring mark, this question as a measuring mark. How many of us know how to share effectively the news about Christ, how to help new believers grow up in their obedience to Christ, and how to lead them to make disciples. What if that was the measure of our discipleship making? How many people can we train and equip to become disciple makers? That is a test that Jesus wants to give us. Because to be a follower of Jesus means to be a disciple maker. And if you're here today, my dear friend, you might be attending, somebody may have invited you, you have been attending this church for a while, 
we want to give you a picture of where we're going. If God is leading you to become a part of this congregation, we want to let you know that we are moving towards maturing you, towards leading you to maturity, and a mark of that maturity is to equip you to become disciple makers. If you are a follower of Jesus, but you are not making disciples, I'm not sure I understand what you mean when you say you're following Jesus. Some of you might be stuck on the language of making disciples and think that we cannot make other people be disciples. And partially I agree with you. In some way, I think you're absolutely right. We cannot force anyone to become a disciple. Humanly speaking, it is impossible. But that's why the command to make disciples is given between a declaration of Jesus' authority on earth and in heaven and, between, and his, on the other side and his promise that he will be with us to the end of the age. If we do our part in proclaiming the gospel and teaching people what it means to follow Jesus, his word has authority and through our proclamation of his word, Jesus' very presence will encounter those with whom we speak so they will get the impression that they have met the, war, the Lord Jesus through our words. Yes, we cannot make disciples, but will we trust Jesus who has said, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. And I will be with you to the end of the age. And both of these statements, a declaration of Christ's authority and his promise of his presence are given as bookends of this one command. Go make disciples. My dear friends, my desire as, as a pastor of this church is that we would equip you, all of us, to grow in our disciple making. I'm reminded of the ultimate mission of the church is to equip its members for the ministry of the word. A few months ago, a pastor here in Austin gave me a book to read, a wonderful book, by a title that gives away the message of the book. The title of the book is The Trellis and the Vine. One of the two authors, it's written by two authors, one of the authors had two trellises in his backyard. One trellis, uh, both of them have been there for a long time, one trellis, he decided to, to take care of it pretty well make sure he updates it and uh, keeps it freshly painted. It was a pretty sturdy trellis. It was well built. It was even neatly designed, so it was almost like a piece of art. And he always kept it freshly painted. Great trellis. It had only one thing that lacked on it, a vine. In another part of his backyard, he had another trellis uh, with, a, with a growing vine on it. As a matter of fact, if you came to expect the, inspect the trellis, you could not really do it because it was so covered by the vine. And in the second case, the author decided that he would, uh, he would put some fertilizer once in a while. He would water that vine once in a while. He would, he would trim that vine once in a while. And this vine grew so much that you could barely see the trellis. As a matter of fact, the author says, 
I hardly knew what, st what shape the trellis was in because I could just not see it very well. Now, when it comes to church life, the work of the vine is the work of spreading the word, is the work of speaking the word of God, of teaching others how to follow Jesus. Whether they are non-believers and, and seeking to present the gospel or, or leading them into maturity, that is the work of, of doing vine work. But at, the more people respond to the gospel, the more people come to the gospel, you're going to need some structure. You're going to need some infrastructure. You're going to need a building. You're going to need some, some administration. You're, you're going to need the bulletin. You're going to need some, some things to, to help people live as a community. And I praise God for all those people who are engaged in administrative work. Both are needed. In order to have a growing vine, you need the trellis that will support the growing vine. But if you have a vine and a trellis, the ultimate point is not about the, vi it's not about the trellis, but about the vine. It's not about whether your trellis is sturdy, is strong, is freshly painted, it looks cutie and artsy and attractive. It is not about that. You might even have tourists who come and inspect this work of art. You might have people who write articles on your, on your trellis, how beautifully it's been constructed and made. But it's not about the trellis. It's about the vine. Last week we heard from our guest speaker in, from Romania a testimony of the state of, the, of Christianity in Europe. Beautiful churches. Beautiful pieces of art that you can go, take pictures of, visit, and it's wonderful. Wonderful trellises. No vines. My dear friends, and if those of you are members of this church, I want to ask us this morning, what is the trellis and the vine work at our church? Are we focused primarily or ultimately just about the trellis or about the vine. I pray that God would lead us to intentional discipleship. Yes, we need the trellis, but ultimately it's about the vine. Let's pray. We pray this morning, O oh Lord, the words of a song that says the following, teach us, Lord, full obedience, holy reverence, true humility. Test our thoughts and our attitudes in radiance of your purity. Cause our faith to rise, cause our eyes to see your majestic love and authority. Words of power that can never fail, let their truth prevail over unbelief. Speak, O Lord, till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. Amen. Let's continue to worship and meditate and have a few moments of silence in our own hearts, in our own thoughts. And if the Lord leads you to make any commitment to the Lord, let's respond to him. But in a spirit of meditation, let's respond to the Lord in prayer. You personally, where you are.
continue to meditate on the word. Would you please stand as we sing and commit ourselves to the truth that all of us need the Lord in our lives. and we encourage you, we invite you to continue your fellowship with us in the fellowship hall as we will have potluck. After potluck, we also have our membership, our church body meeting. Uh, that meeting is only for members, so we hope to fellowship with you until that meeting, and thank you for being with us. And let's dismiss through a word of prayer. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you and God bless you. And thank you, Heavenly